Welcome to another episode of The Watchdog. This week we have a special one for you. This week we will be dealing with a once in a lifetime struggle for press freedom. As many of you know, Mint Press has been subject to different algorithmic suppression on different platforms. It's had its PayPal closed. But of course, the precedent was the closing of WikiLeaks PayPal around 10 years ago. The most famous political prisoner in the world today is without a doubt Julian Assange. And the British government has worked lock in step with the US government to pursue this terrible policy of extradition with the hope of giving him 175 years in a supermax prison in the United States. We are joined this week by anti-war activist in his own right and father of Julian Assange, John Shipton. Thank you for joining us, John. How are you today? Well, thank you, Kareem. It's a real pleasure. I believe that uh, we'll meet again in a few days. Absolutely. And we will talk about that. I will be at the screening in Finsbury Park for the new film that you and your family have put together about your struggle for not only Julian's freedom, but all of ours. Can you tell us a bit about the film, please, John? Uh, I, uh, it's, uh, it's titled Ithaca. Um, it sort of came ab- about uh, as uh, the usual process uh, was to document, you know, meetings and all that sort of thing. Um, so that uh, you would have some record. And then uh, Gabrielle, uh, Julian's brother, took over and, and began the process of assembling it into a film. This was sort of stimulated by Gabrielle's visit to Julian in 2019. Uh, at that stage, Julian was housed in the health wing, which the prisoners called the hell wing, because you're completely isolated and you're not in association. Julian was in a very bad way. Uh, Gabriel thought that he would never see Julian again alive. So he embarked upon what he does best, as he's a film producer, is to produce a film about the fight uh, to bring about Julian's freedom. Yeah. Brilliant. And as you alluded to there, Julian has enjoyed significant support from uh, the inmates within Belmarsh. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how that sort of flies in the face of this massive campaign to dehumanise, to demonise, to basically unperson uh, Julian Assange that we've seen across the last 10 years or more? Well, that was interesting because there are many uh, NGOs that have part of their... uh, conditions or their responsibilities um, to ensure that uh, the people falsely imprisoned or falsely accused or hounded, that, uh, that, that's part of their responsibility. However, Julian in the health wing was moved from the health wing into what prisoners called association uh, by three petitions from the prisoners to the prison governor. Now, this uh, indicates that within the prison, those prisoners have a clear understanding of the circumstances of Julian and the involvement of the state state instruments, uh, for example, uh, law, what do you call the Crown Prosecuting Service? Um, If I could just add quickly to that uh, answer, There are four states that have been involved in the persecution of Julian. Gigantic. The biggest in the world, the most powerful, the United States. One of the maybe second or third tier power, um, the United Kingdom. Another third tier power, Sweden and Australia, acquiescing to this persecution. It's just a gargantuan monstrosity of false accusation, persecution, torture, and uh, abrogation of uh, human rights. Uh, 
due process with procedural irregularities thrown in. One in particular, really interesting, was that the Crown Prosecuting Service of the United Kingdom and the Swedish Prosecuting Authority embarked upon conspiring to keep Julian in the embassy. Counter to what the executives of both of those governments, or the politicians, if you want, counter to their utterances over that seven-year period where they simply said, oh, he can walk out any time. Their Crown Prosecuting Service and the Swedish Prosecuting Authority conspiring, it's documented, we don't present our own opinion on this. Their documents document they're conspiring to keep Julian in that embassy. Yeah. And would you also be able, John, to contrast that campaign that these four governments have led against Julian to not only different governments around the world, for example, the Australian leadership um, following the recent election and other major figures in the world, political leaders, their solidarity with Julian and their clarity about what exactly is happening to him and the stakes of this entire affair. Could you tell us a bit about the support Julian has enjoyed? Yeah, yes. That, <clears throat> look, everybody likes to see in difficult circumstances, a display of courage. So we have the president of Mexico, which is not a second or third tier power, stating clearly that Julian Assange would be on the agenda in his discussion with Biden and trolling the Americans by saying that should Julian be extradited to the United States, the United States best pack up the Statue of Liberty and send it back to France, as there's no liberty available in the United States. So that's, he is the, the, the last, but not the foremost. We have uh, in Australia uh, 31 and now about 50 parliamentarians in the cross-party group. Now, that's an official French group in the Australian Parliament. The Prime Minister has uh, stated in caucus, is a, a left-wing politician or some social democrat party, that uh, enough's enough and he couldn't see the purpose of continuing this prosecution. That's Australia. Every single, every single European parliament has a, an Assange friendship group in it. Sometimes in the latest vote in Germany, on a petition uh, sent to the petitions committee in the Bundestag, there were 90. Now, that's an important petition because it goes on the United States friendship group with Germany as an agenda item. So it must be uh, addressed by both the United States and Germany. Um, the, French the French National Assembly, this is really interesting, the French National Assembly, as a matter of honour, debated whether to give Julian asylum in their National Assembly for one hour. That's the first National Assembly to make Julian Assange a matter of parliamentary policy in debate in a National Assembly. Very important. The Council of Europe has made two declarations, the latest one, a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, being very, very firm that Julian Assange is a protected publisher, journalist, and must be free. The Austrian government's made a parallel statement. The Dunja, the uh, High Commissioner for Human Rights of the Council of Europe, made a parallel statement as well. I'll just repeat it. Every single parliament, in the European Union, the European Council of, uh, Council of uh, what is it called? Council of Europe. Every single one of them 
Avenue Sounds Friendship Group, the latest addition being Luxembourg, which is a small addition, but now everyone has it. Very important. So on the 10th of October, sorry, on the 8th of October, all of the supporters of Julian Assange, I hope you and I will be there, will surround Parliament in a, a, a ring of hands. Well, that imagery of, of the support of surrounding Parliament is equaled by the parliaments of Europe surrounding Parliament in a ring of support for Julian Assange. In the UK Parliament itself, there are 23 in the cross-party group. So that's a brief description of the strength. I'll just add one more thing. Um, 26 of the major NGOs, Human Rights Watch, Asylum International, etc., 26 major NGOs have signed a letter of support for Julian, which has been sent to President Biden. So as you can see, these elements of institutions, parliaments and NGOs and governments represent an upwelling tide of support. They don't do it out of their own motivation. They do it because they either feel the injustice from the upwelling tide of support or realise as parliamentarians that their position is to carry this forward into the institutions of parliament and resolve the situation. Thanks, John. And I also understand that the 23 cross 23 member cross party uh, group that has representation from all of the parties in British Parliament um, have attempted to meet with Julian, but uh, Belmarsh seemingly have not been massively cooperative. What's the latest situation with that attempted meeting of the cross-party group in this country? Uh, John MacDonald managed to uh, get in and visit uh, Julian, uh, and he's, uh, he's in the cross-party group. I think he was uh, shadow chancellor in the Jeremy Corbyn opposition. Jeremy Corbyn has made an application to visit uh, Julian in, in Belmar's prison. We'll see how that goes. Generally speaking, the administration of the prison and the Crown Prosecuting Service have done their utmost to keep Julian incommunicado. So, uh, he's, of course, can't see anybody from the press or anybody uh, to make public statements in Belmarsh Maximum Security Prison. Equal to that is uh, in the hearing last year, back in August, September, uh, Julian stood up to say something in this glass box at the back of the courtroom. Um, Julian stood up to say something. The judge ordered Julian to sit down and then if he continued speaking he would be taken to the cells below the courtroom and held there while the hearing continued. There was an application made to move Julian out of the glass box into the well of the court similarly to every other prisoner and similarly to the uh, prosecutor with its American advisors there. This was refused by the judge in a bureaucratic obfuscation, which she said, oh, that's not my responsibility, the court. That's the responsibility of the jail because Julian's in the glass box. So as you can see, adding insult of fabulation and bureaucratic, what do you call it, bureaucratic Skullduggery, I suppose, if you want. Bureaucratic obstruction, I think I mean. Yeah. And, uh, John, you know, I saw it said in uh, an interview with Gabriel, uh, uh, Julian's brother, in which he said that Julian has effectively not seen a blade of grass in 12 years. 
Um, we understand this process has been torturous for him and, of course, the family too. But we also um, saw reports of Julian suffering a mini stroke towards the end of last year. If you could just let us know, how is uh, Julian's health situation now? Well, not the best. Um... So Nils Melzer in 2019 visited Julian in the prison with two experts, doctors, who are expert on uh, diagnosing the effects of psychological torture and what are the results in the body. And they concluded uh, that Julian had been uh, psychologically tortured over a period of seven years and that it was reflected in his physiology. That report was submitted to the United Kingdom government and the Swedish government. The United Kingdom government declined to act upon it. That is, the United Kingdom government declined to act upon an officer of the United Nations appointed by the United Nations with the agreement of the United Kingdom. This is an official position with an official report to the United Kingdom, but it remains unanswered. Scandals. Similarly, with the Swedish government. The Swedish government uh, answered uh, Mr. Mills's or the United Nations Rapporteur on Torture's letter, uh, and uh, Mr. Melzer wrote back with 50 due process violations that the Swedish prosecuting authority had committed in this persecution. It's just endless. It's just like, you know, when do you think it's going to stop? And then there's a, another one and another one. The court cases themselves seem interminable. Uh, there, Julian's uh, next hearing, uh, sorry, the, the results of Julian's application for an appeal hearing will be within the next six weeks. So that will determine whether Julian can take an appeal over the substantive issues in the first decision of Judge Baraitza. If I could describe that, that uh, decision, Judge Baraitza uh, found in Julian's favour on uh, medical grounds. Um, Nils Melzer, he's a professor of law at Glasgow University, said that the technique that was used by the Crown Prosecuting Service and Judge Baraita to make such a judgment was brilliant in as much as it opened an avenue for the United States to pursue an appeal and thus abrogating all of the previous evidence and only landing on whether Julian was uh, psychologically well enough to be extradited. It's a bloody scandal. Wow. Um, we also understand that, <clears throat> we also understand that in the Ecuadorian embassy through the Spanish security company, UC Global, the US intelligence services were able to spy on Julian being privy to conversations that he was having with his legal team, thus gaining an understanding of legal strategy. I mean, in any functioning legal system, this would instantly throw out uh, the case. How did it you know, make you feel as a father, as a grandfather to um, Julian and Stella's children, to hear some of the activities of UC Global in that period in the Ecuadorian embassy? Uh, it's just really striking the length that uh, the CIA and the MI5 will conspire to, to go to break laws, to um, abrogate decency, to uh, haul themselves up in front of us as liars, thieves, uh, the disgrace of betrayal, bribery, corruption. Um, it, 
They even contemplated murdering Julian and kidnapping him. It, you know, coming to the United Kingdom extradition court in Westminster with such bad faith and such dirty hands. Another example um, is that the FBI, and this, uh, these are prime. These are not secondary examples. They're all prime. And another example is Thor Darson. Thor Darson testified that Julian wanted to... Uh, it, wanted to break into a, a computer. Thor Darson is an Icelandic citizen, okay? Under sleight of hand, the FBI got derogatory permission to go to, to Iceland. Nine FBI officers went to Iceland and offered Thor Darson freedom from prosecution should he testify against Julian. Okay, first up, Thor Darson is a convicted paedophile and a convicted fraudster. Second up, Thordarsson is a Icelandic citizen being given, being given immunity from prosecution by the FBI. It's not possible. There's no, nothing wrong in the United States. He's committed crime in Iceland. Okay, next. This is number three. Julian Assange is an Australian citizen accused in a UK court for, of, sorry, accused by the United States in a UK court of wishing to, in Iceland, of wishing to break into a, a computer. Fuck's sake, man. There's no jurisdiction in any of those cases. The UK should have just said, oh, you know, goodbye, this is ridiculous. However, they accepted the uh, charges brought by the United States. It's impossible. It's just not possible, you know, for the United States to bring a charge on the basis of a convicted fraudster, paedophile, Icelandic citizen, Australian citizen, in the UK court to extradite to the United States. You know, I mean, it's, it just frustrates the life out of you. To, just to think, another thing, if I could add this, that the, London is a financial centre and writes a trillion dollars in contracts yearly. Often those contracts fall into dispute. Those disputes must be adjudicated by a balanced and fair judiciary. But this demonstrates that there isn't such a thing. So these magistrates or judges, if you wish to call them, these judges place the efficacy of the United Kingdom's legal administration at risk, at clear risk, in order to favour the United States. I'll add one more thing. The Nuremberg Codes say, say clearly state that if you committed the crime, then you're the criminal. So in this case, the United Kingdom tries to blame the United States and say we are proxy for the United States' intention. But they are the ones who have Julian Assange in the maximum security prison. They are the ones keeping Julian Assange incommunicado. They are the ones in the Crown Prosecuting Service committing conspiracies to keep Julian in, in the prison, which is documented, by the way, by their documents, not ours. They are the ones, the MI5 uh, uh, conspiring with the, the CIA to uh, spy on, on Julian Assange and kidnap Julian Assange out of the out of the embassy. All of these are crimes. Surely somebody recognizes that this just simply brings disgrace to the administration of law and to the government of the United Kingdom. Of course, when this was revealed through the Yahoo investigation by brave 
whistleblowers within the CIA, when it was covered, the only branch of the BBC that actually reported this was BBC Somalia. None of the other branches from BBC Arabic, which millions of people watch, to you know, BBC World Service, to any of the other branches, felt it was worthy of note that there were discussions at a top level between the British and the Americans about if a shootout were to take place, the British would do the shooting against these uh, hypothetical uh, mirage-like Russian figures. Um, and yet it was without comment. And by many of the journalists, you know, Carol Cadwallader among them, who have echoed lies, lies that were passed to them by the intelligence services about Julian across this period, none of them even commented on this key issue. And post-Brexit, where conversations seemingly were about sovereignty, you know, Britain is estimated to have 105 US bases in this country of some sort. Um, this is Oxford University um, scholars' estimations in the 1990s. What scale is it at now, especially as the United States has within the last few months spent $3 billion on expanding its intelligence and military operations in this country? None of these people seemed it was worthy of comment. What do you have to say to those who see life, and particularly Julian's life, as this cheap? Uh, you know, there's two two good answers to that. I mean, a general answer in Australia would be that these people couldn't lie straight in bed. But the uh, other answer is that the disgrace, the disgraceful sight of people climbing to the next level of success over Julian Assange's corpse, who they know because they're involved, like Cadwallader, they're involved, whom they know has not committed a crime. And they principally, equally know, principally, that The Guardian and The New York Times and De Spiegel published exactly the same information for which Julian Assange is charged. They know it because they're involved day to day. But despite that, somebody offers them another ring up the ladder or another run up the ladder on climbing on the corpse of Julian Assange. And with delighted glee, they climb one step higher and think that they're getting closer to something when actually they're descending into the abyss. Absolutely. And you know, John, you're perfectly um, welcome to not answer this question. But as a grandfather, how did it make you feel to see reports that the security company at the Ecuadorian embassy were testing nappies of your grandchildren to test the paternity of Julian? This is an absolutely grave violation of people's human rights. Do you have any comment on that? Well, you know... I'm sort of overworking the adjectives a little in this conversation. Uh, I, for the most part, I take no notice of these people except to describe the actuality as I've done. But it's grotesque, actually. And to think that um, these, um, these men take the instructions of these mini icons that sit around their offices in Whitehall, in, in, in MI5, in MI6 and the CIA. They take these instructions and they carry them out. They don't even get more money for it. I mean, they just accept the instructions as a, I suppose, as a pipeline of continuity which attaches them to the security of power. And, you know, the weakness that human beings that are involved in security display these days after the white helmets, after the destruction of Iraq, 
the destruction of Afghanistan and the destruction of Libya. And their, their, the quality of character that these institutions attract is uh, seemingly attached to the lower level of hell, you know, these, and I feel very sorry for them personally, um, you know, that, that they have so little substance that they'll write out another order of torment of Julian Assange or somebody else, but in this case, Julian Assange, and then another officer will enact that torment, neither of them realising what they have done to either Julian or themselves or the institutions that they work within or the character and uh, reputation of the United Kingdom. And it's really pitiful as to see in one generation the United Kingdom go from a second-tier power with global responsibilities to a third-tier power that we'll do anything uh, if you hire us in case of the United States, we'll do anything. You know, we're just, uh, I, uh, um, we're just for her. The imagery is of Ramora fish swimming below the jaws of a shark, hoping to pick up a few morsels of torn flesh. That is the imagery I use. I'm sorry I'm overworking the metaphors and the adjectives, but the, the matter seems to, just thinking upon the matter, seems to call those spirits forth. And they need air, these spirits of justice, the spirits of speaking truth, the spirits of actual description of these events, call for air, call for revelation. And to witness the truth is in itself to elevate your status spiritually. Yes. Absolutely, John. And, you know, we know that several years ago, uh, CIA agent Ansakoulas killed 19-year-old Harry Dunn on British soil. There is, of course, still no extradition of Ansakoulas and the question of whether the intention even genuinely exists within the British government is certainly valid when you take into account that the Britain, British Foreign Office's Director of Protocol, Neil Holland, actually helped Ansakoulas escape the country, texting that she should be on the next flight out just a day or so after the killing of Harry Dunn. Of course, during the Trump administration, the long-suffering family of Harry Dunn were, went to the White House to meet Donald Trump, and he all of a sudden sprung on them that the killer of their son, Ansakulas, was next door and wanted to meet them in a really uh, uh, terrible act of, 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 of just so many levels that is disrespectful. Um, do you, John, in your position, have a message to the family of Harry Dunn? And what do you see as the kind of crossovers between the case of Julian Assange and Harry Dunn? What kind of hypocrisies, what kind of imbalanced uh, power relationship does it do, do these cases reveal when taken together? Well, you know, I, I extend my warmth and sympathies to Harry's mum and dad. Uh, in the situation that you described, the facilitation of Anne Sekoulis's dash from justice here and the facilitation by the White House of trying to arrange a meeting to take the political steam out of this murder of the Harry Dunn. Well, I shouldn't say the death of Harry Dunn is nauseating. I mean, can you imagine if it happened to you, the panic that would be in your soul as somebody was trying to introduce you to the killer of your son in order to fix up a political matter rather than a matter of law or justice? I mean, it's just, well, it's pretty rich.
that in drawing together the two strands, it would it would seem that the United Kingdom has lost its way and is a consequence of losing its way. The centrifugal forces in the United Kingdom are increasing and the activity of MI5 in order to reduce those centrifugal forces by fitting up Alex Salmon in Scotland or fitting up Craig Murray in Scotland, rather than fixing or or attending to what is causing the centrifugal forces that are destroying the United Kingdom. It's, uh, I mean, surely the people in Whitehall who are full of, you know, brainy people with PhDs in this, that and the other, surely they can see that pursuing a path which causes centrifugal forces causes the Scotland and Wales to want to leave, causes Birmingham, Manchester, Newcastle, Glasgow, Edinburgh to detest London, causes... uh, Anyway, I've gone far enough on that, but surely they see that they must address these matters in a different way. Otherwise, the centrifugal forces will increase. And one last item. I did read yesterday some graphs on the real economy, real economy being the foundation of industrial industrial nations, and that is the production of steel, iron ore, energy and aluminium uh, and copper. Uh, With that as the foundation of economy, the United Kingdom is like 24th in the world and only achieves uh, its current status if you use GDP and allocate into GDP the fire economy, finance, insurance and real estate all things which do not give strength or underlie a modern industrial economy. They sit on their derivatives of an economy. All they have here are derivatives in life. They don't make anything. Well, uh, just a slight correction. They do make guns, (laughs) B-A-E. They do make guns and they sell them to Yemen. So, sorry, to... Saudi Arabia, so that mm. the war there can continue. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that bloodlust is staggering. Yeah, absolutely. And this was the 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 key result of neoliberalism in Britain was the industrialization and the sort of addiction to what they call fictional capital. And uh, and this is how our our system essentially functions. And this is one of the things actually that Julian also. Um, did a lot to expose was this, the way this outsourcing of functions of what previously were the uh, were the role of um, intelligence services within states. So it was the private military intelligence uh, um, <clears throat> industrial complex. And in fact, his description of what the function of the war in Afghanistan was, was washing money out of the tax basin of Britain and the United States and putting it into this this untaxable, unaccountable space by throwing this, something like uh, huge figures were spent, you know, on dropping 46 bombs on average per day over 20 years, which is what the war on terror um, entailed. Huge expenditure and redirection and redistribution of funds to these unaccountable forces. Um, You know, when thinking about that, what was the feeling that you had when you first saw the collateral murder video? Um, As a father myself, as someone who also has family who worry about me when I take certain steps politically or I reveal certain things, you must have been quite worried for your son at that point, I imagine. Uh, no, not, not at that point, but uh, a little while 
later. Sometime after that, I had uh, lunch with an ex-police commissioner of an important European state, and he said to me that the minute Julian got off the plane in into Sweden, there were four uh, secret services, four secret agencies following him, four of them. Yeah, so uh, at that stage, I, I, I became aware that, that um, these people were building up to a determination to stop the uh, continuity of Julian and WikiLeaks. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that was my sensibility at the time. These people will, after that warning, these people will do something. I didn't know what, but they would do something, yeah. You know, we we really, and it's also something that feels to some extent that the family has been pushed reluctantly against against your will into having to campaign not only for Julian, but for the rest of us. Julian in the situation he's in now is suffering for the rights of millions of people around the world. Do you have a message to the people that Julian is suffering for today? Uh, um, you know, it's a, two things. It's a matter of honour, as the French say, that somebody who makes these tremendous gifts available to you, there's 250,000 cables, you can look up uh, your local politicians, that those 250,000 cables, every single one of them, will benefit somebody. Sometimes the benefits will stop wars. I'll give you a quick example. Um, is that in 2008, a group of American soldiers outside Baghdad broke into a house and murdered the mum and the dad and the babies and the boys and girls in the entire family, the grandfather and grandmother and so on. Contemplating this crime, they called in an airstrike and obliterated from the earth all trace of that little family. Now, this was written up in one of the cables by the United States ambassador and sent to the Department of Justice. Upon the release of that cable, it was read by Iraqi parliamentarians, Iraqi people and Iraqi bureaucrats. Iraq at that stage how do we describe what had happened to Iraq? 26 of its 28 water purification plants had been destroyed. That means practically that a mum has to face the terror that when she gives her little child a drink of water, the child may get dysentery and shit itself to death. Can you imagine? Equally reveals in the Iraq war cables, Iraq war logs, rather, that is 400,000 logs, the interior description of a war, equally reveals that they use DU. DU explodes into the depleted uranium munitions explodes into the finest powder which is carried on to the, in the desert winds onto the food chain and therein is eaten by expecting mums. You imagine what happens. Babies born so that you have to love them, if you know what I mean by that. That destroyed nation, deliberately destroyed, there's no rebuilding in it. That was all horse bucky. Deliberately destroyed somehow after reading that cable, gathered together the strength to declare to the Americans that the status of forces agreement, which meant, which means that a status of forces agreement means that 
the occupying forces will be outside the rule of the law of Iraq. They refused to sign it. As a consequence, American forces, the Allies forces, NATO forces, whatever name you want to call them, had to be withdrawn. A cable, one cable, brought about the end of a war and the beginning, a slow process in a destroyed nation, a beginning of peace. So important. So important. So that's the gift of honour that we must attend to in the case of Julian Assange. There are 250,000 of those cables, and each of them bring benefits somewhere in the world. Some of the examples are humorous, like Rafael Correa, Correa when he became Ecuador, uh, president of Ecuador. He read one of the cables which went to describe how the United States Embassy <laughs> paid the salaries of the elite police force. As a consequence, they were loyal to the embassy. Um, Raphael thought about this for the moment and thought, well, what's, a, what's a, an elegant solution to this problem? He raised the salaries to that level of all other policemen in, in Iraq and consequently was able to govern with peacefully. Yes. So some of them are amusing and clever. Another one is the disposition uh, scandals. The disposition, uh, well, some people use the genocide, the disposition, uh, dispossession of the Chagos Islanders were all packed up by the United Kingdom and dumped in Mauritius. That was recorded in the cables. When the cables were read, the... <laughs> the Chagos Islanders were able to bring a case with their lawyers. What happened? I'm still here. I'm still here. So sorry. I'm just putting out the light. Please, please carry on. The, the, the Chagos Islanders were able to bring a case with the, uh, to, the, to the International Court of Justice and prevail on the basis of the evidence in the case. So, as we can see, there are many people who actively want to see, want to give an uh, honourable or gifts based on honour to Julian Assange. Just a last comment, last one, is that there is only one road to freedom, and that is knowledge. It can be the knowledge of yourself. It can be the knowledge gained by using the tools of WikiLeaks or other avenues, but there's only one way, and that is through knowledge. It can also be the knowledge that one gets through religious contemplation, but there's only one road, and that's knowledge. And WikiLeaks have provided that knowledge if you want to have some understanding of geopolitical or and personal freedom within contemporary states. Fantastic, thank you, um, John. The the light has gone off, but that's not a problem. Oh, okay. Just <laughs> um, the last point I wanted to make actually was, um, you know, off the back of Vietnam and what was a traumatic experience for the U.S. military establishment they drew the conclusion that the uh, ability to control information coming out of war zones was the key reason that they uh, they lost, which, of course, is rubbish. But off the back of that, you had the British in the Falklands literally letting in two uh, British journalists who had to be embedded with the army. And as Judith Butler said, it illustrated the orchestrative power of the state to ratify what will be called reality, the extent of what is perceived to exist. And it is these things that Donald Rumsfeld called the unknown unknowns that Julian has done so much and has sacrificed so much to show the rest of us. And just to wrap up, I'd like to 
um, read a very short extract from uh, The Music of Human Flesh, which is a poem by Mahmoud Darwish, where he said, Oh, you with bloodshot eyes and bloody hands, night is short-lived. The detention room lasts not forever, nor yet the links of chains. And John, thank you so much for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. I hope that everyone watching this will come and see Ithaca when it comes to a cinema screen near you. We are with you to the end, John, and anything you need, we are at your service 24-7. Okay, can I just, uh, just sign off with an addition to Dawish? Um, this one by uh, Byron, um, and uh, it was uh, uh, written uh, while he uh, fought with alongside the Greeks for Greek independence. It's uh, yet, freedom yet, our flag torn but flying like a thunderstorm before the wind. Beautiful. I have a feeling we have a lot of poetry to exchange <laughs> on, on other occasions. Thank you so much, John. I really, really appreciate your time, and um, I hope you have a great day, and we'll speak more soon. Thanks, Susan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.